Kege. Welcome to Splat Attack, a podcast honoring the slime-filled past. I'm your stupid dog, Brett. And I'm your prepping for being epic and terrifying co-host, Alex and (laughs) Brett. Yes, Alex? In prep for today's episode, my normal voice was not enough. I mean, we're doing something spooky, so I decided I'm going to go get my allergies back because (laughs) I've not had those for a while. And if we're going to do something spooky, I need my spooky voice. So in prep for how scary this is, I've got my scary voice. What are we talking about? I'm glad you came prepared because we're going to be talking <laughs> about we're going to be talking about Courage the Cowardly Dog today, and it's Ooh. our first it's our very first foray into Cartoon Network. Who would have guessed? Um, <laughs> so it's very exciting because um, for those who don't know, I've I'm a fairly big fan of Courage. It's influenced my art style growing up, right up there with Doug and Rocco's Modern Life, as being like one of the biggest cartoons I've just att- attached myself to throughout childhood, and there's many other uh, slimesters and gackoids out there who share the same sentiment, who just couldn't get enough of like horror themed shows for kids. And, uh, you know, they got a taste of that with Are You Fear the Dark and Goosebumps on our channels, but they also came to Cartoon Network for this. And I really love the unique nature of it because of, you know, the art style, the, the kind of comedy format mixed with like silly and serious and then of course you got a little bit of heart sprinkled in here and there as courage tries to save uh, mural from various baddies of nowhere but uh before we dive too much into the history of the show let's introduce our guest today because i mean this is a conversation with Mm -hmm. so if we're going to have a conversation with somebody we've got to have a special guest so brett who is our guest for the episode well, it looks like uh, Eustace is pulling up with his pickup truck to uh, the old farmhouse, and it looks like in the in the the back area, <laughs> he he picked up David Stephen Cohen from downtown. So, how are you doing today, David? Welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Uh, uh, fine, I'm I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a delight to be here, and I've in- enjoyed your work, uh, uh, becoming aware of it, and. Uh, you know, there, there are, I listen, I can't avoid listening to a lot of Courage, the Cowardly Dog podcasts, mm-hmm. or I should say, you know, pop culture, recent nostalgia, past 20, 30 years mm-hmm. podcasts. And so many of them aren't as good as yours. So many. Wow. <laughs> that, Thank you. The ones I've done have been terrific. Uh, <laughs> that is quite just, a compliment. Thank you. Yes. But, you know, and and uh, a, a, a very high level of understanding of, mm-hmm. of the, the art and the craft that goes into these these shows and also reflections back on your your own childhoods, uh, mm-hmm. um, which which I always enjoy hearing about. Yeah. And things that scared you as children. Kind of... <laughs> <laughs> for better or for worse, depending on the episode. Right. Well, for the the way we've got this episode configured is Brett has has a ton of of fantastic questions. And part of what makes this series interesting to me is 
I want this to not only be about us, I want this to also be about the fans too. Mm -hmm. So while Brett was making questions from Splat Attack, I took to Instagram and Reddit and Facebook and was asking fans some, what questions do you have? So Brett's going to take care of the Splat Attack. I'll take care of fan questions. And there's only one question, if you don't care, Brett, I'd like to start because this one's a very, very quick one. Sure. Uh, because this is probably I know which one. <laughs> probably the most personal one. Uh, but uh, Bartleby33 from Reddit has asked, would you please ask him, how are you? I'm on strike. That's yes, one way are. I am. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but to be clear, Courage Cowardly Dog was not a Writers Guild covered show. Mm -hmm. mm. So... Uh, as as are are not or were not a, a lot of the children's animated projects I've worked on. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked on plenty of Writers Guild covered shows, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, so I'm I'm on strike, and uh, I'm feeling really good because I dropped about twenty five pounds just walking in circles <laughs> on the strike line. Uh, that and becoming diabetic. Uh, uh, recently, uh, mm. uh, due to a medical thing, it's like it, it, it wasn't like, oh, you're gonna become diabetic. It was like I was fine, and then I was in diabetic ketoacidosis in the hospital. Oh, no. oh wow! That's and serious. and uh, I, I I would like to go back to inhaling bread, uh, but uh, the combination of my new diet and the walking took off a bunch of weight. I, so I feel I feel good. Uh, and uh, I got to watch something on television tonight that was very inspiring. I won't say what because it doesn't matter because this isn't going to be listened to on this night. So I feel inspired and I feel um, I feel encouraged, uh, uh, encouraged the cowardly dog uh, <laughs> to speak to you and 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 to hear from fans uh i i, I think that nothing uh, to speak to the fact that courage is not a writer's guild covered show mm -hmm. uh i and no other writers from the show get residuals from it mm -hmm. right you get paid once and that's it and if you're the head writer it's a living wage if you're just doing a one-off script mm -hmm. it's hard to live that way although writers of children's animation almost entirely uh, don't get residuals mm -hmm. you know a, a children's animated series especially daytime show being covered by the writers guild is is very rare um but what what what, what i do get are memes and 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 memories uh and i can't think of anything else i've worked on that has come back to me with such like a tsunami of love and 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 uh feeling like giving me the sense that i haven't made mis a mistake with my life i've done something worthwhile you mm. know and i've reached a lot of people and it, it is it's it's great to get I, I, it's hard to weigh residuals and it's, it's a false you know comparison anyway sure, sure. Uh, but that's what i you know i i the memories I have from Courage and the, the, the what I hear from fans of the show fascinates me, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and and 
really buoys me. I mean, to think that something I wrote, you know, 20 some odd years ago helped somebody who was having a troubled childhood at the time mm. and learned that if a little pink dog could face his fears, so could that person. Uh, and that monsters are often just made up constructs, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I mean, that that makes me feel good. And, and to know that I'm talking to fans, I mean, <laughs> I'm a writer. Nobody knows who I am. <laughs> but you have one of the most important roles because without yes. you, there's no story. There's no world that's being created. Yes. It's like the seed of the idea that flourishes through it. Thank you. And, and please tell that to the AMPTP next mm -hmm. time you're talking to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and also everyone who favors AI bots over humans writing stories, don't fall for the technology. It's, it's not worth it. You need heart in a story to make it work. Yeah. Oh, sure. We, we could have written <laughs> 10 Courage episodes about that. There were a yeah. couple that sort of approached, you know, th that issue. I mean, Courage is all about heart. I mean, just, just his name, uh, Core is from the Latin meaning heart. So even mm. though Courage is afraid a lot, he has the heart to persevere past his fear for the sake of love to save Muriel because he loves her so dearly that he is in debt to her with his life. So he will do anything, go to the ends of the earth for her. And that's what I really love about their relationship, no matter what baddie of the week tries to, you know, thwart their way of living. And I think uh, something that really sends that, that message home, even though I know you didn't like write the episode specifically, is uh, the very last episode, Remembrance of Courage Past, where we get to see his origins and Uriel find him abandoned after this evil vet takes his parents mm -hmm. and all the other dogs in town and flies them to the moon on a rocket ship for some devious plan that never ultimately got carried out. Um, so to see Courage's motivations through his actions time and time again, regardless of the challenges he's faced, is very encouraging uh to the viewer especially people who suffer with a lot of anxiety me included growing up where we didn't know what to do with our fear or these feelings that were kind of welling up inside of us and we had no one to talk to it's he was the shining example of what you can do even if you are afraid to tackle something even if you don't want to do it even if you don't know what to do it's just kind of follow your heart you know use courage as the model and uh, everything will be okay in the end well uh uh, thank you and i agree uh uh heart was always at the center of it i never thought of the the, the latin connection between the words i took seven years in high school that's why i know <laughs> <laughs> well i had to read the odyssey three times but but never in the original <laughs> had to read that too <laughs> yep <laughs> it was weird i don't know why three years in a row i wound up reading the odyssey in school but <laughs> Uh, perhaps it benefited me. Perhaps it, 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 it there were e epic episodes of courage that might have drawn from from that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think to your point, I mean, just about the heart, the heart is a very strong muscle to mm -hmm. you know turn a phrase a, 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 a little clumsily. Um, but it really does overcome fear. You know this. Nothing that I wouldn't do to prevent harm to someone I love. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're doing it before you even realize it. 
like the time a sign was falling on my wife's head in Provincetown as we were sitting there. And I didn't understand why my hand was hurting so much, but it was because I shoved it up and stopped this like 60 pound piece of metal from slamming on her. Wow. And it's like, it, that's just how like much your love instinct. can, you know. Yeah. Innate knowing. Right. It, it can, it can act on your autonomic nervous system, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but yes, that's what gave courage his courage. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes you felt like he was almost cursing at the responsibility of all of this, mm -hmm. but he would never shrink from it. Yeah. And that's, that's what many fans admire about him the most is he's just this beacon for hope that they can mm -hmm. look to if they're struggling in their lives with anything that they may have a lot of fear entanglement with. Um, but to get to some of our questions and not get yes. too deep too soon. <laughs> um, oh, by well, the way, I, I should say, uh, I so resisted the temptation to start suggesting questions you ask me <laughs> in the post because uh, I didn't want to be too cheeky, but it was it was hard. <laughs> I, I, I do my best to be prepared for all of our guests, regardless of uh, what episode we do. I'm sure. No, that shows. That shows. So please uh, uh, hit me with your best shot. <laughs> Fire away. That's for you, Pat Benatar. <laughs> um, we'll start off with an easy one just to break the ice, even though we clearly smashed an iceberg before we started. <laughs> uh, how do you first get involved with uh, writing for Courage the Cowardly Dog? Oh, gosh. It's her birthday today. And that makes sense as an answer. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to write her uh, a, a note. Uh, Risa Newworth, happy birthday, Risa, uh, uh, was a producer. She, she was in. She was involved in the production of the show. Mm -hmm. uh, I met her through her brother Alan Newworth, who worked with me on the Wobulous World of Dr. Seuss. Mm. I was the executive producer. He was he was a writer and and. Uh, Great guy. I mean, we got we're, we're still best buds. And and uh, he knew about courage because his sister was involved. John Dilworth, as, as history shows you, did a, a, a wonderful short film that was nominated for an Oscar. And mm -hmm. that became the pilot for the series. Um, and it was it, nothing an agent did, nothing a manager did. Uh, it was the best kind of way to get a job is somebody who loves you and worked with you, recommends you, probably because he couldn't <laughs> take the job or deal with it. Under the, <laughs> yeah. you know, or whatever. I mean, there are a million reasons for it. But it's, it's, sure. it's part of a, a community of writers uh, that I'm part of. Uh, uh, here in new york um it doesn't exclude la it's just a matter of who's who lives near you and and also what kind of production is going on 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 your coast um so yeah i wound up meeting with john dilworth uh who's an interesting fellow and and um i don't know if we hit it off i enjoyed meeting him clearly he liked me enough to invite me into the family and what it felt like to me as a head writer coming in to a project like this I felt like John had a baby and 
then we was getting hitched and I was going to help raise the baby because mm. I just love John and the baby so much. And, and, um, that was, you know, I, I, I tried to tune to his frequency, which added a lot of colors to my palette because that was a psychedelic frequency. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we, we got, we got a rhythm going and got to know each other and, you know, my job was not to do my show. My job was to do the best version of his show and help storytelling. And and it's a delicate dance uh, in the world of children's animation because writers in that are relegated to the beginning of this conveyor belt. It's collaboration by conveyor belt. And uh, in primetime animation on Simpsons or Family Guy, it's more like a sitcom and I've done plenty of those where you really are involved in every step of production and you're learning how to become a showrunner. Mm. Uh, in children's animation, I'm so frustrated that, not, not just for myself, but writers should know uh, how their work is interpreted by all the people down the line mm -hmm. uh, and and understand how you know how things flow and it is, part of it is you know sort of an academic thing you, you learn these things and, and a lot of it is just sort of getting the vibe you know mm -hmm. and it's hard when you have a revolving door of freelancers and all they do, come in to do a script and it's my job to without changing you know my i don't feel my job is to change other other people's work for the purpose of changing it or making it my own, mm -hmm. but making sure that it was tuned to that frequency, good and proper. Um, and also might be in a voice that's a little, let's put it this way, not different, but expands sort of the, 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 the palette of aural colors you have for the voices of your characters. Uh, so being a head writer is kind of like you're giving but you're also learning if you're mm -hmm. if you're doing it right i think you know because yeah. you have to you, you know it's a, it, certainly a, courage was quite an education for me especially doing all four seasons of it right yeah I, i'd imagine it's very different than this world dr seuss not only because it's fully <laughs> animated not like puppets and people but also the 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 tone is very different as well it's a little bit darker, but mixed in with some comedy and some, you know, slapstick humor. So uh, this actually leads into a question that one of our fans asked us. Uh, it's uh, Max Boyle of Ready to Retropod, who's a friend of our podcast. And he says, what are some horror movies that influence the tone of this show? Mm. Well, there, there are many, uh, you know, for any individual episode, there could be. You know, obviously there were Exorcist, you know, influences and and uh, <laughs> Demon in the Mattress actually. Demon in the Mattress, yeah, yeah, and um, it's 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 hard to think of something that didn't influence it in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you something that wasn't in my domain as a writer, but Jody Gray, who who along with Andy Esrin scored the show and uh, did, did the music. Uh, 
use something he in, in uh, a clockwork orange uh famously they use the song singing in the rain yeah mm. uh to play against the mm -hmm. moment yes mm -hmm. you know and that's what and jody can better tell the story and please have him on uh sure. to tell it but like the chase scene in human habit trail the motorboat chase scene yeah with, yeah with this this like grand operatic score you, you know that it blew me away you know and and that was a direct influence of kubrick of clockwork orange mm -hmm. uh, on how he was approaching the music um for me it's hard it's hard to pin down you know it's psycho keeps and coming to mind but that maybe that's because i'm looking at freaky fred reanimated over <laughs> shoulder oh, oh that's uh, a big one and that's just so psycho yeah. um and that of you know clearly had influences freaky fred uh sweeney todd mm -hmm. john knows knew how much i love to write verse and that i, I do it well um and and he said well i want to do an episode all in verse about a freaky barber and, and I said, that sounds great. Uh, it has sort of been done before, but he said, well, this is going to be our take. And, and, I, and I said, I'm, I have no doubt we're going to make it our own. Mm -hmm. um, so that was sort of, it was interesting because that was an obvious influence that I was trying to sort of step away from. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to make the episode live on its own merits. You know, but there, there are little bits and pieces of so much woven through all of these episodes, and not just horror. You know, um, but I'm, yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to. I mean, I'm a big fan of the old Universal horror films. Mm -hmm. uh, with with uh, Courage Meets the Mummy, there's a classic one. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, it's it's like you tend to think of these things in terms of tropes. You know, but there, for me, there, there was a, a large influence on the storytelling as well as, you know, these little moments and these little like, you know, Easter eggs. Uh, it, it, you know, how, how th this episode feels like a Kubrick film. How would that story lay out, you know, mm -hmm. with, with all deference to the writer? I'm saying the director, you know, is is is, is now like... Uh, uh, the ultimate uh, shaper of things and and in movies perhaps, um, but it, it there was one of the things I feel like I'm at, at a debate uh, <laughs> because I'm I'm going to spin off your question and give the answer I want to anyway. But <laughs> one of the things I've learned uh, uh, that that influenced courage far more than I ever even gave thought to was my own childhood mm. and my own fears growing up mm -hmm. the movie that movie you know right. uh and i've learned that through talking to fans and reading their comments and listening to podcasts and like, my god i really i was moving too fast working on the show you know it's 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 they speed it up and speed it up and speed it up. Now we need twice the episodes in the same amount of time. 
And you don't <laughs> know that. take the time to say, okay, what part of my tortured past am I mining for this episode? Yeah, I, I definitely resonate with that for Nightmares as a Child minisodes we do because, um, you know, I try to extract some some story, some semblance of what what went on with some of these dreams or occurrences in my life that I just couldn't make sense of, but they kept like coming back here and there throughout my dreams. So that that was really inspiration for that series. And it made me think a lot of Courage the Cowardly Dog. And, uh, you know, later on, there will be a few stories that draw from Courage because of the way they impacted me upon first viewing. Wow. Well, one of them you wrote. <laughs> Two, actually. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I wrote about half of them because we accelerated in the was it the second or third season we suddenly mm -hmm. had to do as i was just saying twice mm -hmm. we had to turn out and i said the only way i can turn out twice the amount of scripts is if i write more of them because mm -hmm. in the aggregate it will take me less time mm -hmm. uh than to sit and you know do the very hard work uh, mm -hmm. of, of being a good head writer um and sometimes it's easier than being a, a good writer. It depends on the moment. But yeah, I had my fingerprints all over most of the episodes. There were a few that John, that were his, you know, and it, yeah. it, it was. Like Tower of Dr. Jalast, I remember yeah. talking with you about. Yeah. Yes, yes, it, it, it was. Uh, and that was, it was great to see. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it wasn't like I was like, oh great, I get, I get a vacation. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to see what John, you, you know, unfettered by my stupid notes, uh, you know, and I, <laughs> I didn't give him that. He gave me notes. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, just another interesting little, little fact is that the network was very, uh, uh, they, they just gave us all the room we, we, we wanted. Hardly any notes ever. Ask me later what the note was. <laughs> <laughs> that I remember, and 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 I'll I'll give you that answer then, but uh, yeah, they gave they gave us plenty of room to make a great show or mess things up royally, mm -hmm. and uh, I owe that to Linda Semensky who who just ran the network mm -hmm. with a great deal of faith in artists and writers and 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 the strength to trust herself that. She made the right decision by picking up the show, you know? Yeah, she saw a lot of potential in it because there was tons of uh, pilots like being picked up from the What a Cartoon Anthology show on Cartoon Network. Mm -hmm. And I know like Dexter, Johnny Bravo, Powerpuff Girls, Cow and Chicken, they all came from there initially. Uh, so she, she had an eye for creativity and potential like no other, similar to actually Geraldine Laybourne of Nickelodeon fame, who's pretty much yep. her parallel over there. Well, to go along with uh, your note about the note, uh, one of our questions from Charlie K on Instagram has a question very much probably in line with the note, but his question was, were there any episodes that didn't make it to air because they were too scary? Wow. Uh, I mean, there were, there were no produced episodes mm -hmm. i mean once a network a studio once they spend the money to produce something it's there's got to be like a real heavy me reason for 
for them to say, no, we're going to throw away that chunk of change and just, you know, start mm -hmm. it all over. Uh, there were episodes that didn't make it, but most most episode ideas, most pitches for episodes, you know, short paragraphs, were approved. Uh, and then began the process of growing them in, in, into full stories. Mm -hmm. um, the, <laughs> the, the, the one thing that did change, the, the note, um, was in Courage in the Big Stinking City, which is one of my favorite episodes. Mine too. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for my contribution to it. I, I just, I love everything about it. The direction is, is fantastic and it's got this sweep that you don't have at the farmhouse you know um it's grand you know and and and, and it's just crazy <laughs> it's just a crazy episode but um the note we got was when courage is trying to deliver the package and he it's room 666 mm, right? yeah and the note was we're going to get complaints from parents groups and from religious people and and from anyone who thinks it's objectionable so can you just change the number it it really is i made it 666 and a half i knew it <laughs> <laughs> and it was fine <laughs> and they and and many's the time that that's been commented on as sort of like you know it, it's not really a joke but it it's sort of funny tongue-in-cheek <laughs> yeah and it's better than 666 it's mm -hmm. it's it's so bad that it's even one half worse. Point <laughs> five worse than six sixty six. Yeah, it's like an F minus. <laughs> right. So exactly. So uh, that's what you do: is you get a note, and you look at it. You say, "Okay, good note, bad note, doesn't matter. I got to do the note. I'm going to improve things because of or in spite of this note." Yep. That's and a I great would. attitude. <laughs> Alex and I know a thing or two about notes as we send them to each other for our episode creations. Yeah, it's it's a good policy to adopt if you want to survive and and not, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Because most one of the greatest challenges I think is giving or getting notes uh, is making notes coherent because generally it's like a pool of people and and. One says red, the other says blue, the other one says orange, the other one says green, and then the last one says, I think we're all on the same page. <laughs> and then I say, so plaid? I mean, what are you looking for? Uh, but the best uh, head writers or equivalent with a different title that I've worked with uh, really put themselves inside both the, the show that you're trying to contribute to uh, and also inside your head as as a writer, something mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier is just to to you know it's it, it's hard not to feel like you're on a conveyor belt. And uh, I was fortunate because I didn't have to deliver a pile of notes I couldn't defend from a network that just delivered notes by the pound, uh, or a network that would deliver notes by the mouse load mm. uh like computer mouse i'm assuming <laughs> no 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 i'm talking about a 
famous mouse who mm-hmm. entered oh, the oh. public domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 famously, the, the studio, I can't quite recall the name, but the studio that uh, uh, gave us that mouse uh, is, is famous for noting you in, into hibernation or death or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and my experience there bore that out, that there were a lot of notes, you know, mm-hmm. and some of them good, some of them bad. And Cartoon Network, and then you have to, if, if you're giving notes to writers, you think, the last thing you want to hear from a head writer is, I don't understand this note, but here it is. <laughs> no, you have to understand it and then explain it to me because, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, notes, anyway, it's, it's, it, you get, we, I could do <laughs> six hours on notes. But yeah, that was my favorite note of the series and perhaps the only one I ever really got. Mm. from uh, above you know it's, it's always standards and practices that, yeah. that has they have the funniest things to say yeah <laughs> I, I i actually recall from dj McHale when he talked to us during our uh sort of retrospective way back in season two of the podcast mm-hmm. how um you know he mentioned one of the most common standards and practices notes he would get from nickelodeon was oh we can't show kids lighting campfires because that would promote like arson with them and yeah. being careless so um, you know, they always showed the campfire lit before the show started, so it wasn't, you know, showing imitatable behavior that they could reproduce by watching it uh, for that demographic, which is like, I don't know, six to fourteen, like roughly mm-hmm. in the tween uh, age range. Mm-hmm. Right. It, you have to. I mean, you, you have to be careful. And some of it makes good sense, and some mm-hmm. of it's just kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, listen. I understand the value in not teaching a, a five-year-old how to close cover before striking and then, you know, right. <laughs> throw that match into that pile of newspapers waiting <laughs> cycle. Um, and so, and none of you try that at home, okay? None of you <laughs> Don't do that. it. I know most of our listeners are millennial parents and their kids, so <laughs> <laughs> right. exactly. set, set, the, set the example. Um, Speaking of favorites, since we're kind of dancing around that, as you mentioned, uh, Courage in the Big Stinking City is one of your favorites. Uh, are there any others that come to mind or any favorite villains that you really enjoyed writing for on the show? Well, Fred <laughs> looms large, uh, uh, looms large literally uh, at the moment and, and, uh, and figuratively. Um, I've written many subsequent verses in Fred, uh, uh, Fred verse. Uh, just to people through the years, you know, is, is thanking them for a compliment or, or and because I can, you know, <laughs> it's like, and it's fun. I don't, I, I want to write more Fred. And I remember coming up with landing on is really, I was trying to find the, the meter for, for the voice. And I knew it had a, it needed to drive to, a repeated point and that's when i that's when it hit me and that's when i felt naughty <laughs> yeah that's when you and know then, trouble would stir <laughs> right and then, and then the, the 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 trick was <laughs> how many times can you rhyme naughty you know uh haughty <laughs> right uh... i mean this believe me i think if there are any rhymes left uh we should do a sequel 
But um, <laughs> uh, my friend Bill Marsilli, with whom I worked on Seuss, uh, wrote the episode with me, and he is a remarkable uh, versifier. And uh, it's it's one of I, I I feel like it's one of my secret powers, you know, because I, I write songs, I write music, and I write lyrics, and that's my passion, mm -hmm. by the way. So that's um, awesome. You, you know. But writing verse and writing in meter and writing in rhyme, it's just, it, 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 it delights me. It's, it's the best parts of math and English, mm -hmm. you know. There, there's and a certain music. playfulness to it that I, mm -hmm. I sense as it like bounces through the words with a certain timing to it, like a character, like a characterization directly of the words. Yes, and, and, and it, it, helped, it helps define the character. And I naturally, uh, write rhythmically mm -hmm. musically I, I i very much like using as much white space on the page as possible to show the rhythm that i'm you know, to communicate with the storyboard artist like right. you know if you have just a series of one word interactions bam 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 down the page it communicates something but then you're told you got to cut this down to, to 11 pages because it's 13 pages and then you just suck the white space out of it, <laughs> you know, mm. it's like you, you, you cut as much as you can for real, but then you wind up ruining what I consider to be a beautiful display of the graphic display of what you want to hear and what you mm. and, and, and the rhythm of the direction without over outlining it and, and, and you know, just stepping on people's feet with your hands as you write. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, that, uh, I don't know if that answers the, the question. It, it's Freaky Fred. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Freaky Fred. So, uh, 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 oh, Schwick in, yep. in Birds of the Big Stinking City. Mm -hmm. Oh, loved writing Schwick. Again, the finding the meters for that, for that, for that. Uh, 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 you see that door? You want to know what's on the other side of that door? You're going to want to know what's on the other side of that door. It, it's very Fred. It's very, it's finding the rhythm. And I was at san diego comic-con a bunch of years back and and uh ran into a, i was wearing my courage t-shirt and and i ran into a fan and he recited the 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 schwick monologue for me in the schwick voice wow and and i i recorded him, i have a video of it i, I was we i was it's like i started to cry <laughs> it was like you know this, this thing that i wrote of course i should know that i'm at comic-con these people know Curse the cowardly dog if anybody does and this was even this was before like the 20th anniversary and mm. before the millennials became super sentient yeah yeah <laughs> uh, a, a lot and, of us and, love talking about our favorite things from childhood right right <laughs> well so do i you know i yeah. mean it's it's the same uh you know the same kind of Nostalgia. It's the reason I do what what I do, you know. It's it's it's. I never, and I think about this a lot. I don't feel entirely grown up, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, in ways that you know that. If you've ever heard the songs to the musical Peter Pan, you know I won't grow up. Uh, it's not even a resistance to being an adult, but it's a reluctance to give up. Mm -hmm the imagination of childhood mm -hmm. and even yeah. the fears, even the fears of childhood, you know, it, it's mm -hmm. some people 
do it in therapy. I do it in therapy and in writing. So it's <laughs> there you go. So so anyway, those two characters stick out in my mind, but so many others, and certainly the main cast of the show. You know, mm -hmm. writing those voices and writing for dear sweet Thea White uh, uh, Muriel, and and finding words for her uh, that just sounded like her. And I don't know even know why it were. For instance, she I, it, it might have been in the episode with the Vikings, or, or where she she anyway she goes she they show up somewhere so deadly, and she just thinks it's like Disneyland, and and she says, "Oh my, this is so authentic." <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I just that's such a great Muriel word. Yeah, it's... you know. And meanwhile, she's about to be led nearly to her death or to marry a goose god or whichever episode it was she's smitten by the atmosphere of it all <laughs> yeah yeah that's a, she she just could not see evil 99 mm -hmm. percent of the time she did not recognize it or she did not believe it to exist in others she was made out of pure love except when she was three and a half years old and little Muriel. That, yes, that's definitely was, a standout episode for me, especially with the macaroni and cheese bit. <laughs> that was, it was fun writing the three and a half year old Muriel voice differently, you, you know? Uh, and I so vividly remember that macaroni and cheese. Again, <laughs> it was all about the rhythm and all the memes I've seen of it, it, it embraced that. And one of them just like stretched it and slowed it down and sped it up. And uh, it was wonderful. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's where wordplay gets really fun. Yeah. So uh, those are, that's a sampling. I, I mean, there are, I'm sure a million, you know, or a million, maybe a, a few dozen other <laughs> voices that, that uh, and we had great voice performers, Paul Scheffler, who, who did Fred and, and so many other villains. Mm -hmm. I saw on Broadway in Peter Pan as Captain Hook, the very musical I'm referring to. Wow. Not to think of it uh, before I uh, knew him in Courage. Um, so he brought his brilliant talents to the show. And, and uh, you, you know, he was the voice of the snowman, sort of the Sean Connery voice. Mm -hmm. he, <laughs> he could go in so many places, uh, go to so many places with his voice. It was it was wonderful. I, it's one of the things that I, I just love about being a writer is sharing a character with an actor. Mm. Uh, and particularly when it happens over, like you're, you're working on a show and you're working with that cast uh, and, and you really feel it's an intimate kind of a collaboration because I'm inside the character's head, now you're inside the character's head and where do we you know, where do we agree and disagree about the character? And if I just say that one of the most wonderful voices I ever wrote for uh, was a live action show. It was the rest of her was there too. It was Madeline Kahn. Mm. Uh, I worked on a sitcom that starred Madeline Kahn and George C. Scott and wow. uh, Mr. President. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was, it was it was really a good show and just collapsed under the weight of so many things uh early on in fox's uh, life as a network mm -hmm. um but god writing for madeline 
just as an example, is that her voice still lives in my head and I feel like we had this magnificent love affair, you know? And the thing is that I had far more interaction with those actors than I would with the voice actors on a typical right. children's animated show. Yeah, because well, typically they would just be given the scripts and then go into the sound recording booth. Mm-hmm. So there's not really much space for you to like go over lines with them, I'd assume. That and also, as I was saying before, the writer being at the beginning of the conveyor belt. Yeah. If you're invited to those sessions or if the creator of the show, whoever's running the show, trusts enough in you to you know, realize that if this were a live action show, you'd have the title executive producer uh, because writing is that important. Mm-hmm. Just to attend those voice sessions would be very helpful. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I was at a couple, uh, but mostly because it, I was involved in like singing halftime show or, you know, something else that that was fine because I had plenty to do, <laughs> you know, That's but great. I really do wish that, that I, I, I could have been more immersed in that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't need to have had more control over it. I, I just uh, yeah. love, get, you know, being in the room with the actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, moving uh, along the same mentality of characters and things like that and uh, hearing writing for specific characters tommy pezmaster i love that name <laughs> on uh, instagram wanted to know what is what is your favorite episode you wrote and then who was the other one where did you go because somebody also asked nick nick from game buds also wanted to know who was the most fun character to write for well Tommy Pezmaster would have been the, 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 the most fun character to write for. <laughs> <laughs> um, because a Pezmaster sounds like courage would be in trouble. Yeah. Like an, he's like, he <laughs> runs his empire's can- candy. Yeah. You yeah. don't know what he's going to do with him. But, uh, uh, so, uh, so, what were the what were the two questions again? Uh, who was the who was the most fun character to write for, and what is your favorite episode that you wrote? Okay. Um, well, the fun characters to write for, I think I sort of answered in, yeah, the last in a way you did. Question. I mean, uh, you know, the, I I I knew for instance if I knew Paul Scheffler was doing a character, uh, it would be a lot of fun writing the character and either knowing what voice he was going to do or not knowing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and being surprised. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's like there are a few characters that I didn't enjoy writing, you know, so <laughs> that's, that's, that's a better way to answer it. And as far as what was the, my, my, some of my favorite episode? Yeah, favorite episode you wrote? Um, well, I have different criteria, like Courage in the Big Stinking City. I, you know, I just love for all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a wonderful little movie. It's strange. Uh, I love the score that Jody did. Um, you know, really Gershwin, New York, Rhapsody and Blue stuff. And uh, favorite, like their favorite moment, half just the song halftime show, mm-hmm. a thirty second song that I wrote. It was a thirty second Beatles song. Yeah. You know? 
I just love that thing. And it, 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 it exists outside of the show, really. Uh, in fact, the show stops for the halftime show and then continues. Yeah. Um, that was in uh, Ball of Revenge for all of our Slimesters wondering, where all the villains kind of come back to play a dodgeball game with Courage. Exactly. And, and uh, that was one of the ones where I was in the recording studio because I was one of the Duck Brothers. Oh, and, there you go. Uh, uh, I w Will Ryan, a, a, a dear friend of mine who passed away uh, last year, um, did, did several voices for the show. And, and he was the Duck Brothers. He did both voices. Mm -hmm. But the song, you know, say we, we, we did the song together. Uh, and Jody Gray, of course, you know, totally killed it in production and making it like totally Beatles, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's 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 hard, you know. It's like who's your favorite kid, you know? <laughs> so many. Yeah, there's a lot of kids. Wonderful, here. you know, episodes, and you know, I remember the early ones fondly, and then sort of becomes a blur as things speed up you know mm -hmm. um how do you how did you feel about uh last of the star makers because that one was totally different than the majority yeah. of the series very sentimental and sweet i was gonna i was gonna mention it um because i i don't come back to it a lot when i like watch episodes mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm usually in the mood to watch you know something that's just gonna you know cheer me up or get real you know one of the crazier episodes mm -hmm. but i love that that a lot of that came from john mm. uh, if i'm recalling correctly uh you know a lot, a lot of so many things came from john but um it was uh it was it's always a ch it's a challenge to write sincerely Mm -hmm. uh and 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 get that across uh, uh mm -hmm. more than to write funny you know uh, uh it's easy to sound maudlin you know and, and false but i just tried my best to bring honesty to it and put myself in place of the characters you know and and uh when I find myself tearing up as I'm writing something, um, I know it's either because I'm doing a good job or I've had to go to the bathroom for way too long. <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> right, exactly. The two are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that one just stands out to me a lot uh, amongst the litter just because it, it's, we, it's funny I mentioned this because we were just talking with Craig Bartlett from Hey Arnold about um, an episode called Parents' Day for his like jungle movie arc. And uh, something about the way the music combined with the, the words that are being spoken together, particularly when the, the giant squid mother dies and turns into that garden while Muriel's commentating on it. Right. It's just like one of these universal, inexplainable sentiments of beauty that you can just immediately tune into when you see that unfold after her journey of like losing her husband from that giant space well that was acting as a black hole and then being drained of all of her life forces from the government agency that was pretty much like, you know, the, the counterpart to the E.T. government in Steven Spielberg's right, movie. Right. And then, of course, Courage is just doing everything he can, along with Muriel's help, to 
to get these baby squid eggs incubated so that their species can continue making stars for the sky. And yeah. it, it's just a perfect balance of beautiful and bizarre that I think works so well, yet somehow the way it's written with very sparse words and lots of ambience to it, it works and it, it's always stood out to me as like a, a milestone episode for just being so different emotionally. Well, thank you uh, for all of that. Um, and a lot a lot of that credit does go to John, uh, particularly for, for that episode. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, he had crazy, ridiculous, funny things to, do, to, to say and, and, and things about the heart, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, it was really good to change that up, you know. It, it's mm -hmm. find a different tone for the show um and yeah you know you could speak to things uh that uh, conditions of the heart and conditions of the soul uh kind of fluently when you trust yourself or you trust the actors and you trust the artist and you trust the audience mm. you know and sometimes I would say, is this too scary for kids or is 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 this too sophisticated uh, and emotional for kids in, in the case of Star Makers? And, and uh, it, no, kids, kids, kids unravel a lot, you know, and mm -hmm. people who are most scared of kids not being able to are executives <laughs> who who haven't they've grown up but not not <laughs> the ones who've grown up not the good ones. physically they've grown they're one of the right. mean old men in uh neverland <laughs> <laughs> we kill pirates yep <laughs> <laughs> well brett most of my questions that we got uh, are, are pretty much repeat questions probably the one question that the fans gave the most was have you ever had censors step in because the show was too scary so uh, most of the i've only got like one really good fan question left but we'll save that for a little bit later so <laughs> brett okay. i'll let you take off with another one sure um uh, hopefully it's the same one that i have in mind um i'm trying not to tread old water um what do you what do you believe you know we're we're past the 20 year mark with courage cowardly dog now and it's still thriving amongst its uh you know, mm. fans who are looking back and back fondly to appreciate it. Uh, what do you feel is the most valuable takeaway that you've gotten from writing for this show compared to others in your career? The surprise of the fan feedback, uh, two decades on, two decades plus, uh, the show at its time, you know, I, I, I've been through this a lot with shows I've worked on where the network it's not really bubbling all the way to the surface. You know, we, we, we had four good seasons. We could have had more, you know, my, the, my takeaway from the show and the thing that really comes back to me more and more is the responsibility that you have as a writer, uh, especially if you're writing for children. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the, the, the particular craft that that takes, um, and if there's one thing that I have tried to lay into all of my work, certainly, but, but 
particularly for children, is empathy, is, mm. is characters discovering empathy. A villain is a perfect character to have discover empathy. Because uh, God knows Eustace is never... <laughs> you know, there are moments, you know, where we look back at Eustace's childhood and, and, and uh, learn a little more about him, but um, he was pretty irredeemable. Oh. <laughs> except for the fact that Muriel loved him, you know. Uh, there, there are so many things, so many feelings I have about the show now that, that have come to surprise me and have been gifts to me. Mm -hmm. um, growing up, I, wanted, I, I had two career uh, uh, options as far as I was concerned. I, I wanted to be a, a talk show host or a Beatle. <laughs> And I've come closer than most to both of those things in, in interesting ways, which we could talk about another time. <laughs> but, sure. uh, you know, as a kid, part of me lived inside the TV. One of the most interesting things of my career, in my career, is to work with people who I grew up admiring or whose work encouraged me to become a writer and then to talk to fans who appreciate and understand the work in ways that I don't even yet. Mm. I've been taught a lot about myself and a lot about the show by you and, and, oh. and, and by all of the Courage fans. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't know. You don't. You don't know entirely what you, what you're doing. Sometimes, un, it could be until next you know, week when you sing that song for somebody and they go, "That's good." Or in the case of a cartoon series like this, it really took two decades for it to hit mm -hmm. that pinnacle where you know, uh, uh, Freaky Fred reanimated to get eight million <laughs> views. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. wow. I'm, you know, I, 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 maybe I'm not actually on a Beatles album, but there are eight million people out there who appreciated those words, mm -hmm. and you know, part of that's an ego thing, certainly. But, but it's also reassuring to know that what you've done has resonated with people. Yeah. Exactly, especially as a creative. Yes, and it's a personal thing. Yeah, I'm writing mm -hmm. this. There's this whole industry between me and you, yeah. you know? and uh, then finally to have a you know direct interaction or to hear you know from from fans that you know that that really has stayed with me and and is is is, is a, a great gift and I and I I've gotten it from other things I've worked on but nothing with the potency of courage because that was four seasons of a show. Mm -hmm. I worked on it. it's the most time I've spent in one at one job is <laughs> courage you know that's just how things go you know it's it's it's, it's a gig economy as yeah. <laughs> yeah well Brent we're already right about the hour mark so I think we're probably gonna have to start wrapping it up very soon uh, yeah. so I, I'd say if you have one more and then we'll ask Julian's question that's the one I was hoping you would ask. Is that my son, Julian, or Julian Hester? Julian, Julian Hester. Hester. 
Okay. <laughs> I didn't know he had a son named Julian. Yeah. <laughs> Does he watch the show? Well, okay, good question right there. <laughs> <laughs> you saved me, Alex. <laughs> Put off the other Julian's question a moment. Julian was 12, roughly, when I was working on the show. It was like he was the right age to be watching Courage. And I'm looking up at a picture of him over there. He's 32 now. Um, and, uh, ooh, his girlfriend is planning a surprise party for him. Don't play this podcast for him. I'm uh, sure he's not the listening word. to us. <laughs> 33. And I remember my 30th birthday party. Good year. Freaking me out. But uh, <laughs> he was, as any, as any kid, uh, uh, I think he assumed that whatever dad did was embarrassing. Mm. And I knew that the last thing that what I do was embarrassing, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, he says, don't talk to any of my friends about courage. Don't. And we're coming, I was driving them all back from a birthday party. So I had Julie next to me in the front and a bunch of kids in the back. And I said, don't hate me for this, Julian. And I, and I was like at a red light. <laughs> Do any of you watch Courage the Cowardly Dog? And, and they all burst out enthusiastically. Yay! <laughs> and, and this was early on in the show. So mm -hmm. hadn't yet gotten a bit of traction because what, what later happened is Julian realized that people really liked the show and, uh, in, 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 I'll share just one delightful moment uh, sure. uh, that that I got to experience because of courage and because of my son. Uh, Julian was in a class with uh, Sigourney Weaver's daughter, Charlotte. <laughs> oh wow! And uh, he knew that Charlotte was a big Courage the Cowardly Dog fan, and um, that made me very happy. This is the Sigourney Weaver's daughter loves my show. It's, it's a, then we were at a parents' meeting, you know, and it's like any other parents' meeting except Sigourney Weaver is a parent. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay, so this is Sigourney Weaver. This is Ripley. <laughs> this is a goddess. This is, oh, my God, and, and, and Ghostbusters. And, and I, I, I go up to her and I introduce myself as what had become my name at the time. Hi, I'm Julian's dad. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yes. Threw her arms around me. And and like, I'm standing like, she said, oh my God, I love what, I love your work. We love courage so much. And she's like holding me. And, and I, I don't remember if I thought it or said it, but it was the, the, the line in my head was Sigourney Weaver. When I imagined meeting you and, and I have imagined me. <laughs> It would never go like this in my, this is not how I imagined it would go. You're my fan, you know? <laughs> what do I do? I adore everything you do, Sigourney Weaver. Thank you, Sigourney. It's, it's hard to, <laughs> the entire- beautiful moment. Uh, I, I mean, really, moments you couldn't sell for a million, wouldn't sell for mm -hmm. a million dollars. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was a time when I went to see her in a play and she introduced me to Leonard Nimoy in the wow. lobby. Wow. <laughs> so Ripley introduced me to Spock. Ah! Squeak. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, what is Julian Hester's uh, quester? 
Julian Hester's question is, if you could go back and relive the release of any episode from any show that you've ever written, what show and episode would you pick and why? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, my mind immediately goes to the difference between like a movie release and, and an episode release. Mm -hmm. Because I, I was going to say immediately, well, Balto, because... Ooh. Evan Bacon was there, and we both got up and took bows together uh, at the premiere, because that's a premiere. Mm -hmm. um, TV shows generally, you know, the episode's on the air. Yeah. But, oh gosh, I mean, the first thing I, the, the first thing that my former partner, who I'm seeing this weekend uh, uh, for the first time in person in a long time, actually, uh, although we've worked together recently, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, the very first thing that we, we did was probably the most thrilling because it's the first thing. Yeah. And it, it really was far more meaningful than we even knew at the time. Um, it was an episode of George Burns Comedy Week. I'll mm -hmm. explain what that was. Um, Steve Martin was the executive producer. And each weekly episode was a half-hour comedy film unto itself and each also a pilot for a series. Mm -hmm. George Burns did the wraparounds. He had, he did not rise to a Rod Serling level of of uh, influence on the show. He was very happy just to stand. The guy, he was a hundred and something at the time, so uh, that was thrilling, right? You know, first to to come into the business that way, and we got into the business that way because Roger, my partner, was a journalist, and he interviewed Steve Martin about his art collection for Connoisseur magazine, found out he was producing the series. And after spending a week with Steve in LA, uh, impressed him enough that when Roger said, this might be breaking protocol as a journalist, but my partner and I write comedy. You mind if we pitch an episode or two? <laughs> said, oh no, that would be great. I really like you. Talk to this guy, you call this number, say I said it was cool, and uh, Carl Gottlieb, my partner, will be coming to New York to meet with writers and set up a meeting. We were the first writers he met with, and uh, we pitched our little 20-something hearts out, and we, we pitched a, 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 a few shows, but the one that they bought uh, was called The Honey Bunnies, and it was about... A, a, a guy, a playwright, a serious dramatic playwright who doodles these little honey bunnies for his niece and nephew and tells little stories about them. Unbeknownst to our unsuccessful playwright, but very successful storyteller, his agent sells the honey bunnies and our hero becomes Mr. Honey Bunny and miserable. He wants to be respected for the quality of his art, his playwriting. But everyone knows him as Mr. Honey Bunny. He has to kill the honey bunnies. Mm. And he, he, he is the first bit of animation that Roger and I ever wrote. And it was it was the honey bunnies from the Honey Bunnies Easter special. Our, our hero comes on a, a live talk show and says, I have a clip from the Honey Bunnies Easter movie. Uh, it's the Honey Bunny family hopping down and, and across the tracks of the Carrotland Express. But Mr. Sun has warmed the tar to a sticky goo and their paws get stuck. And here <laughs> comes the 909 barreling down the tracks. 
and the reflections of the bunnies getting bigger in the eyes of the conductor and the reflections of the train getting bigger in the eyes of the bunny. That's when we knew we could write animation. And, mm. and, uh, and then black. And uh, we come back and, and, and the host of the show says, how they get out of that one? He says, they don't, they're dead. <laughs> now, here, was, here was the note that, that we got from Steve Martin. And this is, this is sort of a great way to sum up my entire career. Uh, Steve, our ending had our hero moving off to Sweden and becoming a successful, miserable playwright in a place where, you know, dark, despairing plays <laughs> have a home. And, and uh, Steve Martin only real note to us was you can't kill your honey bunnies mm. he he could not possibly kill his honey bunnies and that's when roger my partner and i realized we just wrote the steve martin story and we had no idea he was the wild and crazy guy who was actually a serious playwright it, it, for real i mean i i've seen at least one of his plays and a serious art collector, a, a very serious person. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the most brilliant comic minds of two centuries. And, and uh, he, <laughs> he never said, I can't kill the wild and crazy guy. But that was mm -hmm. what he was saying. Yeah. And no matter how much Roger and I together and separately have gone into adult live action, you, you know, primetime stuff we find ourselves last year working together on an animated series uh called treasure trekkers about these little mice who i don't even know where it's airing or if it's airing <laughs> but um we can't kill our honey bunnies either and you have to learn to live with them and sometimes they're those nightmares you had as children mm -hmm. that live with you. Sometimes they're the things you get famous for if you get famous or the things, you know, that you're known for at work, you know, this is your specialty, whatever. I've had to learn to live with my honey bunnies and, and uh, with or without residuals. Uh, those honey bunnies got us residuals because, <laughs> I mean, not that that show aired a whole lot of time. Uh, a whole lot of times, but that was uh, that was how we got in, and and it, it, that that premiere when that episode came on the TV machine, I popped in that Betamax tape, and I had a whole bunch of people over, and and we watched the shit out of that. Uh, <laughs> the biggest moment, even bigger than that, when we realized this is. I think Julian will understand this as, as an even better answer to the question. We wrote the episode. Uh, we'd never been, I'd never been to Los Angeles. We went out there to watch the episode being shot. And uh, we get picked up by Teamsters to take us to the location. And we turn a corner and there's the Honey Bunny Mobile. <laughs> Rich white limo with a big, a bunny nose and bunny ears and a bunny, bunny tail and there it was in 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 very 
in three very large dimensions and and we wrote that into existence <laughs> it's mind-blowing isn't it <laughs> it was totally and 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 uh, after that everything you know like oh sigourney weaver hugging me sure you know but just for moments in, in like wow you know and 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 uh uh the way i remember it is is uh, uh it was almost like turning the corner and and there's the statue of liberty or there's mm. you know uh, uh 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 the eiffel tower and you didn't expect it yeah. <laughs> you know a few steps away and, from greatness yeah and 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 I mean, that, that was uh, uh, really spectacular. And uh, uh, thank you for giving me the moment to tell the, the Honey Bunny story because sure. it's still, you know, the thing is about that episode is the script got us a lot of work. The script, Balto, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, it really did. The produced episode was not as good as our script. We thought it wasn't. Mm. But what did we know? Right. Mm -hmm. But we were pretty sure it wasn't. And something happened that's never happened again to me anyway. And is certainly not the rule in, in Hollywood or in show business is that the guy who rewrote the episode, Emmy winner Earl Pomerantz, my one of my heroes from the Mary Tyler Moore show, writer, brilliant writer, wonderful, sweet guy uh, who, we, who we subsequently worked with. Uh, uh, apologize I mean, he, he he apologized to us for doing a bad rewrite or or, or oh. not it, interesting my rewrite was not as good as your episode and it's a t there's a takeaway here for you know anybody in show business is you, you know says, but Earl Pomerantz you're brilliant you know it's like he had a job he had to rewrite there were notes there were notes there were notes and they had to go on to the next thing and mm -hmm. <laughs> okay Getting an apology from Earl Pomerantz? Oh, my God. The director, different occasion entirely. The director, Peter Bonner's great uh, uh, sitcom actor and, and director, apologized to us for not doing a, as good a job as he wanted to directing it. And, and uh, I wish that we didn't need, didn't have the opportunity for those two apologies. That the, I wish the episode was perfect. Um, but it was weird. You just don't get. It's like that experience was setting us up for disappointment <laughs> because mm -hmm. your first job in the business, and Steve Martin's your boss, and he's got nothing to prove to anybody. So he's not giving you notes you don't need. He's just telling you you can't kill your honey bunnies. And then people are apologizing to you for not doing justice, and, and it doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't happen once in a lifetime yeah yeah uh you know so i appreciate and in final answer to your question experiences like this i mean i i find myself going on and on and on when i'm trying to answer a single question <laughs> but it's extremely therapeutic and it's extremely relevant to me because I'm always reflecting on something that, you know, I've thought about a million times. I'm trying to find another way to think about it or another way to talk about it so I don't bore myself. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. But n now, I mean, especially when I'm talking about courage and I'm talking about the reaction of fans and I'm then reflecting on my whole career, I just feel, to quote the fabulous late great Paul Rubens, I feel like, mm. well, to paraphrase it, I feel like the luckiest boy in puppet land. Uh, <laughs> I, I got to write a couple of episodes of Pee Wee's Playhouse along the way, uh, you know, and I'm still alive. And even though the writers are on strike, I'm, you know, it's a great time to be creative without the constriction of mm -hmm. getting paid in order to take notes. Mm -hmm. So. A lot of us on, on the picket lines are talking about what we're doing and, you know, all those dream projects that, you know, we, we hope would, would come would come true one day. So, yeah, I feel I feel very fortunate. I, I uh, not not a Beatle, not a talk show host, but a third thing that I could never have imagined that the combination of the two and even better. We usually, at the end of an episode, we ask our guests if they have anything they'd like to plug. But in this particular instance, uh, I do feel it appropriate to bring attention to the strike. Is there any way that you can think of for anyone who's listening for them to support the cause? Oh, sure. Uh, well, for one thing, I, I, I want to thank anybody listening for understanding that there are writers <laughs> Uh, and that's something that I, I think having been through, this is my third strike. Mm -hmm. uh, my first strike was when we were working on ALF. So, <laughs> wow. so I feel a much greater awareness of the writer's role in the process. Mm -hmm. A lot of really solid support from the public and certainly walking around New York City. This is funny. I went to Pennsylvania uh, uh, to Poconos with my wife last weekend, and I was wearing my Courage T-shirt. And I'm walking around. It's a test. I want to see, and plenty of millennials. But w one of them's looking right at my shirt, and he says, "Oh, hi, nice fedora. Are you interested in going to church on Sunday?" <laughs> uh no, I'm not. You never heard of courage? <laughs> like, <I didn't> <laughs> totally went over his head. <laughs> it's like, you know, you, you want to find like, like I, I know New York, I know LA. I don't spend a lot of time in America. You know, mm -hmm. um, when I wear my writer's guild strike shirt, I get a lot of comments and, and I see a lot of other people wearing similar shirts and we give each other solidarity signs read read the credits be aware there are writers and to directly support the strike take to social media uh read up on what the issues are because you know there are lots of catchphrases and buzzwords that go around and ai is an issue and you know mini rooms and all of you know well a we know what ai is but mini rooms and other specific issues to writers, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's not a whole lot to, to read up on uh, uh, if, you, if you want sort of the broad strokes, but it's more than that. And this is really a, a point I would want to drive home. It's not just about writers. 
it's about the labor movement mm -hmm. uh, in, in this country. And I listened to the Republican debate last night that dates the recording of this, certainly. And, and I listened to people talk about the destruction of unions. Mm -hmm. and, and I grew up in a union household. My mother was a New York City school teacher. And she didn't get a fraction of what she deserved. But what she got, she got because she was in a, a member of the union. And uh, I come, <laughs> apparently my grandparents or great-grandparents were socialists and wrote for, you know, the socialist papers. So I must have it in my blood. Um, and and uh, understand that it's it's man versus machine. It, mm -hmm. it, it it's humanity versus corporations. Mm -hmm. uh, AI is another interesting. I wouldn't say stumbling block, but interesting intersection of of technology and our ability to handle it and use it mm -hmm. wisely, uh, or trust the AI to use itself wisely, you know, th those are issues, but it, it goes much deeper than that. This country is in the middle of a desperate struggle. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, writers are the people who are telling you about things. Mostly we're the ones who are putting the word out there. So it's, it, it, it makes sense to me that we'd be out there at, on the picket lines now joined by the actors. Um, and if you live in a city where there are picket lines, come on down. Um, they're, they're unfortunate fun. Uh, you're just walking in circles with some of the most interesting people, your heroes. Oh my God. I, you know, today I'm walking around. It's John Turturro. He lives like three blocks from me in Brooklyn, but I never see him, <laughs> you know, uh, so you see your heroes and then you see during the last strike, I was looking up at, at all the people I admired and I still am. But now there are a lot of millennials, a 20 somethings going around, you know, people who haven't even joined the guild yet. If they know about courage, I'm the, the hero, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it makes me a little uncomfortable because I, I'm a fanboy too, you know, uh, and I want to go talk to that guy over here and you're talking to me over here and I don't know what I want more. Do I, uh, do I want <laughs> or do I want to go over there and, and, and say hi to John Turturro? Um, That's where a body double comes in handy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, but don't be afraid to come on down and, 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 and just join us in support and walk in circles and talk to some of the most interesting people you're ever going to meet. Uh, a lot of us haven't been out in a while. I mean, well, certainly after the pandemic, but you know, writers and actors together in the street is amazing. And I just bring my melodica every day and try to play along with the strike chants and, and whatever the DJ is playing <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of a party, but it's very serious and we mean business. Mm -hmm. uh, we mean we, we, we mean humanity. Right. The MPTP means business and and but we're not going to let them shut us down and don't buy into 
their spin. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. if, if you're reading, uh, if you're reading a, a statement by a corporation or a group of corporations, and you're reading a statement by a union, and you have nothing but those two facts to go on, believe what the union is saying. You know, mm -hmm. might not be true a hundred percent of the time. But who, who's, you know, is it, who are you going to trust more, the corporation and the CEOs, or the people who make mm -hmm. product, the people, the artisans, the, the laborers, you know? So don't take don't don't take what you have for granted, yeah. and and uh, uh, learn about the labor movement mm -hmm. and understand why that's important mm -hmm. whether so, you're a writer or a driver or a postal carrier or teacher uh, you need protections yeah and i would not have health coverage today taking care of me if not for the writers guild mm -hmm. and all my time working on on guild coverage shows yeah so uh, well, to to uh give a, a quick preface for any of you who are listening if you're listening to our show because you, the shows that we watched as a kid have meant something to us. They, they still mean something to us. They resonate with us. Courage being one of the many, many, many examples. They've helped form a lot of our ideals and they've helped push us and encourage us and all these wonderful things. So it's not just, yes, it's entertainment. And we need entertainment, but it also speaks a lot more to us as people because they help tell stories. So if anything that we've ever shared on the show at some point has meant something to you, not because of our show, but because of what we've covered on the show, then please consider supporting as much as you can. Uh, as David was saying, go down. If you are at a place where you can go join, go join. If not, Follow them on social media. Uh, any one of your favorite actors or writers or directors, they're all got stuff that they're sharing on social media. Share it around and support it. Raise awareness for it and look more into the issues that are going on, not just what's at surface level. So with that being said, thank you so very much for all the wonderful stories and, and your passion for wanting to support people. Brett, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, final thoughts, man, I'm at a loss for words. It's just wonderful to continuously meet people who shape our childhood for their, their gifts and talents. Um, I, I really don't know what else to say. It's been an <laughs> honor and pleasure to have you on here. Uh, David Stephen Cohen, not the X one. <laughs> we'll have him on next time. <laughs> and, uh, hopefully we'll get to talk about Courage Kelly dog again with you sometime. And, um, anyone Anyone who believes in creative endeavors, please support the little guy because they need all the help they can get. They're mm -hmm. the one. They are the ones who are the lifeblood of this country. Right, and, and I'll add that one of the struggles that is outside of the strike is organizing children's animation. Mm -hmm. Is getting shows like Courage or Arthur, another show I worked on, lovely mm -hmm. show. I, 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 I hold no animus towards anyone involved with it. It just pisses me off royally that these shows will play forever and make money for a lot of people, but not for the writers. Yeah. Uh, you know, and getting those shows organized. That's the that's the gig economy that we're trying to avoid. 
having enforced on guild covered shows and getting a show like courage protected by the writers guild getting our work that is even more difficult than the strike in a lot of ways and it's something that is never resolved during the negotiations to settle one of these strikes so i'm hoping that we can find so support all writers is really my point uh, uh and and the guild stands we at the guild we involve the guild stand with writers who uh seek coverage uh, for their work um so we're here i mean solidarity uh, mm -hmm. that's what that's what we're here for and i, I know courage would want nothing less uh than than for the, the the people who lovingly crafted him to receive the ongoing rewards of of uh of finance in addition to the love and 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 uh celebration that is probably worth more um but doesn't pay the rent you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it yeah. doesn't uh anyway i i apologize i see i seized the 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 podium again you're fine uh, so uh but i wanted to make clear the difference between the if i made it clear the difference between mm -hmm. this animation and that kind of work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's been a pleasure to, to, to talk to you guys. Truly, I'm happy to come back and do it again. And I apologize. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. well this, this is no longer a mini-sode. I think we're going to have to call it a mega-sode. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all right. We, we, we love appreciate every the bit time. of this. Yeah. Well, my pleasure to be here. And yeah, let's do it again. I'll bring uh, bring some other courage people. Bring I'll bring Jody along next time. Yeah, the more the merrier. All right, Slimesters, we're going to head on out for the day. Uh, I think it's, I think Courage is all uh, pooped out from saving Muriel a dozen times <laughs> during this episode. But uh, before we go, be sure to write to us via email at splatattack2021 at gmail.com. Uh, or you can interact with us wherever you find us on social media. Obviously, we have a Patreon page to help support this podcast. Everything that goes into it gets reinvested into it so that we can continue to grow because we are mm. an independent creative source. Um, so if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, definitely consider, um, you know, supporting us in any way that you can. Uh, other than that, Alex, uh, will you scrape the slime off the wall for us, please? I think I have to make a beeline towards the door because I think <laughs> Freaky Fred is about to shave my back and I do not want him getting near me. <laughs> I, I go, Captain. Just make sure that you, you make sure the door is clear before you enter through. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I might get a few surprises and a lot less hair <laughs> when I wake up. <laughs> oh, and also, check out Curtis Cowley Dog DVD if you haven't gotten it already. Yes, and, uh, and currently on HBO Max. Yes, yeah. on both. All right, watch you later, Slimesuit.
I would have done the same thing, but it's hard to show off my Emmy. Yeah, very important. <laughs> what did you get the Emmy for? Uh, Peg Plus Cat, uh, which is a PBS series. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine who wrote on Courage, Billy Aronson, did a couple episodes, uh, co-created Peg Plus Cat. And it, it was a math curriculum show for preschoolers. And I went, <laughs> it was so smart and so funny. And the performance was so great. I just wrote it for myself. Great songs. And, uh, you know, I just wrote a bunch of episodes and then suddenly was nominated. and. Then-